welcome to the We Talk Health podcast, the official podcast for West Tennessee Healthcare. Please be advised that this podcast is not intended to replace any medical advice. Always follow your medical professional's advice and direction. Nothing said in this podcast is intended to supersede or supplement the direction of your medical caretakers. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at wetalkhealthpodcast at gmail.com and we will do our best to answer any questions you may have. Welcome to another episode of We Talk Health. My name is Will Castro, and today is August the 5th. Today we're doing a very special podcast and we're calling it COVID-19 Update from the Frontlines. So joining me today, I've got Brandy Pruitt and Blake Jordan in the room with me and I also have Katie Cravens on the phone. How are you guys today? doing well how are you pretty good thank you guys for joining us today we wanted to do this podcast just to kind of give the public a bit of an inside look of what it's like to be a nurse on the covid floors with covid patients so thank you guys for being willing to take the time to do it so i wanted to ask you what are each of your roles for west tennessee Healthcare? katie let's start with you i am the director of c7 we are a covid telemetry unit okay and brandy what about you I'm a staff nurse in CCU, which is currently one of the COVID ICUs. Okay. And Blake? I'm the respiratory care manager, and I deal with taking care of the ventilator patients in the ICUs. Okay. Like I said, thank you guys for, for jumping on, especially at the last minute. So there are several questions that we've uh, been wanting to ask, and we'll just go ahead and dive into them now. So is COVID real? Is it a real thing from your experience? Yeah, I'd say, you know, absolutely. It's real. There's no doubt about that. Dr. Dean Curry made a post recently and it, he kind of worded it very well when he said, if we could take the general public and put them in our shoes and walk through our intensive care unit and see these patients, see their suffering and see the anguish on the staff's face, that would make it real for everyone. Sure. I agree with Blake that COVID is very real. And like he said, if just the general public had the chance to walk through our ICUs and see the shape that the patients are in Mm -hmm. and the stress that the staff is under, I believe they would think that it was 100% real as well. So what is it like taking care of a COVID-19 patient? I imagine it's a little bit different than taking care of maybe a normal person who would be in the hospital. So can you kind of give us a day-to-day of what you guys have to do? So from the telemetry floor, the difference is these patients, the acuity of them is so much higher. We take three to four patients each. You have to wear your PPE completely before you go in the room. If a patient goes out, if there's a situation, you have to be completely covered yourself to protect yourself and not potentially spread it to other people. We cluster our care which means we're in the room when we go in 30, 45 minutes at a time with one patient. Mm -hmm. And wearing everything that we wear, it is extremely, extremely hot. I was going to say, just wearing a mask, you know, for the 10 minutes you would be in the grocery store, your your face might feel a little hot. But I can't imagine having to wear the full getup that you guys have to wear. So what, what exactly are you guys having to wear? I know it's gowns, gloves, masks. Is that everything or are there other pieces? So when we come in for our shifts of the morning, we change into hospital-provided scrubs. Okay. And then we actually, when we go into patients' rooms, we put gowns on top of those scrubs. And we wear shoe coverings, hair coverings, 
we wear our N95 masks. A lot of us wear them out at the desk, but mm-hmm. definitely when we go in the room and also some kind of face shield. Okay, so the N95 mask, we've heard the term, but those aren't just the kind you could probably buy from Walmart or Kroger. Those are actually like medical grade. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. And then our facility goes the extra step to fit us for a mask that is specifically fitted for your face. That oh, okay. Will provide a seal that won't allow air around the mask or yeah. in and out. So besides the PPE, what kind of precautions are you guys taking both professionally and personally to protect yourselves, your patients, and your families? Well, obviously, you know, hand washing. Right. That's the big thing. I think, you know, our hand washing has definitely increased tremendously. Personally, I don't wear my shoes home. I take them off, you know, when I leave the hospital. I put them in my car and then... I immediately take my clothes off when I get home, put them straight in my washer and go straight to the shower and shower just to protect, you know, my family. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to transmit anything through my house or anything like that. So, so Brandy, Katie, is that kind of what you guys are having to do as well? It is. And like you mentioned, in addition Mm -hmm. to PPE, it not only protects us here at work, but it protects us from taking stuff home to our Mm -hmm. families. I just try to avoid going out in the public as much as possible in groups of people. Sure. And if it's absolutely necessary, then I always make sure that I wear my mask and distance myself from yeah. other people. That's great. So, Katie, what does it look like for you when you're taking care of patients? What are the specifics that you're having to do when you're taking care of patients? You know, we already talked about putting on all the PPE to, to protect ourselves and, and protect others. Another big issue or another big thing that we deal with is, and I think that the ICU deal with that as well is talking with family the communication with family because mm-hmm. visitors are not allowed a lot of times not just one family member that wants to call everybody is concerned about their loved one the struggle is actually being at the desk and being able to sit down and speak with the family members and, and give them all the information that they're needing to feel comfortable that we are taking care of their loved one when they can't be here right it's a big struggle is that kind of what you guys are seeing as well Yes, these patients, of course, they're still human beings, so we provide the care to them just like we would a regular ICU patient, plus more. The care is much more Mm -hmm. rigorous, and we have to be creative with our care, too. And Blake can attest to this. We have in the ICU all of our ventilator monitors are on the outside of the room along with our IV pumps. We use IV extension tubing to run into the room so we can adjust our drips and our ventilator settings actually from outside of the room so we don't expose ourselves as often and we can conserve PPE yeah, instead of little, running in and out every time. A little more protection for you guys. That's great. We have nurse navigators that link up with our patients' families via Zoom on iPads, and they actually go in the rooms with the patients and Zoom with the families so the family can see their loved ones because many of our patients have been here for days and weeks and their family hasn't been able to talk to them because they're on a ventilator, much less see them because they have COVID. And so this gives them an opportunity to see their loved one that's in the hospital and let them hear their voice. I had an experience actually yesterday with the patient I was in the room when they zoomed and it was an elderly man and his wife saw him and she was just talking about how much she loved him and how they had never been apart before Mm -hmm. um, until he came into the hospital and she couldn't stay with him and it was just very emotional to think about that and witness the conversation sure on the home end of course the patient was on the ventilator and he couldn't respond or talk to her Um, but it's just 
it's amazing that we have technology that we can do that so these families can see their in some capacity um, yeah can see their loved ones but also that's what really tugs on your heartstrings of course to know well let me ask you this i'm not clinical my degree is in music so i just don't know so when people are on a ventilator Mm -hmm. does that mean they're essentially in like a medically induced coma or how, how does that work most of the time, yes. So there will be, you know, an endotracheal tube placed into the trachea, and we will breathe for the patient to mm-hmm. support the patient. These COVID patients are so sick that pretty much they're all in a, basically what you would consider a medically induced coma. Gotcha. They're on medications to keep them sedated to take away the work of breathing until their bodies can recover and heal mm-hmm. and they can support themselves. Gotcha. So are extreme COVID symptoms limited to only older or more at-risk patients? Or are you guys seeing younger and quote-unquote healthier people coming into the hospital at risk as well? I would say that extreme COVID symptoms are not just limited to the elderly. Um, We've seen firsthand younger, healthy individuals that are at risk and suffer. I personally have taken care of a 37-year-old for the past two weeks that has COVID. My director, Connie Thornburg, gave me some statistics today. Our average age of patients in CCU today is 58 years old. And in MICU, the average age is 51. So That's relatively young. It is. That's wild. I'd say that, you know, everybody is at risk. The level of risk is going to differ from person to person. And, you know, some of your older patients or, you know, someone with pre-existing conditions might be at a higher risk, but anyone can contract the virus. Sure. I've had coworkers contract it. So I'd say you can't predict how it will affect each individual person because we're all different so there's just really no way to know your risk level until it happens right so if you were able to pinpoint maybe the biggest misconception about covid what do you guys think that would be i would say the biggest misconception is that it's a hoax because it's it's completely real yeah and you guys obviously see it firsthand multiple times a day so right that it's a hoax or that I'm not at risk because I'm healthy, right? so I'm fine. I can go and do whatever I want to do. That's just not true. I hear a lot that people just want this to be over with. I'm ready for all of this to everyone to get COVID that's going to get it and let's go back to normal. And I don't, I don't think we're going to see our normal like we once did. So let me ask you this. What happens if one of you three contracted? Is there a certain protocol you guys have to follow? Yes, there is. Obviously, immediately we notify employee health and Mm -hmm. they have a set protocol in place where we will be taken off work and we're isolated for a certain number of days. And then they check with us basically on a daily basis to check our symptoms and how we're doing and things of that nature and, and go from there. We also have to fill out a risk assessment on all the staff that have had contact with the person that does um, contract COVID. And so that makes it a little more lengthy. That's a scary thought thinking about us contracting it because if it's widespread throughout our staff, then who's going to take care of right. the sick patients? Yeah, we're stretched as right. it is, you know, for healthcare professionals to be here to be able to take care of those patients. So praying you guys stay healthy as you deal with this. So how has COVID put a strain? We kind of just mentioned it, but how has COVID put a strain on the system and employees? And how does that affect the ability to properly treat not only COVID patients, but your normal patients? Because the world doesn't stop. Cancer is still a thing. 
lung issues are still a thing. Heart issues are still a thing during COVID. So how is, I feel like the answer is kind of obvious, but how has COVID affected all that? Um, it's definitely affected our availability of our hospital beds, availability of staff, and even equipment. So several of our ICUs and telemetry floors have been turned into COVID units. Mm-hmm. And those floors typically stay pretty full of non-COVID patients. Right. So then we have to create floors and units for those negative COVID patients to go to to mm-hmm. receive the care because, like you said, people still get sick oh, yeah. with other things besides COVID. I think that normally we have certain areas where patients would go depending on what their illness is, and those areas may be a COVID area now because we've had to isolate the COVID patients from other patients and then luckily our hospital's gone the extra step to negative pressurize our COVID unit. That's something that's not necessarily mandated, but our facility, luckily for us as employees and for the community, has taken that step to protect us. Right. So, you know, it felt good for us to Mm -hmm. to know that they cared for employees and cared for the patients enough to take that extra step. Now, you're talking about the, like, if you were to drive by Jackson General, you'd see those uh, big generator-looking things, maybe sitting outside of the front entrance or the entrance by patient discharge area. You're talking about those yes, big machines, right? Yeah, and it's also it's put a strain on the system just from a staffing issue because of the fact that you know normally a patient who might require a certain amount of time to care for. It just takes so much more time. It's so much more labor intensive Sure. because I can't just wash my hands and go in the room and take care of the patient. Mm-hmm. I have to put on a gown and put on a mask and a face shield and wash my hands. And, you know, and I'm careful as to every move I make. Where yeah. before, I mean, I've worked here 20 years and it was routine. You know, I would wash my hands, go in the room take care of the patient and walk out. And now I'm so conscientious of what did I touch? What did I do? Right. It's a lot more labor intensive and time, but it also puts a strain on resources, I would imagine. Yeah. We have staff that come and staff the COVID floors that are from all different areas within the hospital. They are wonderful staff and come in to help. But the amount of time it takes to properly teach and go over everything that the, that COVID requires so that we can safely care for these patients. It takes a long time, and that puts a big strain on staff that are educating and staff that's coming and taking care of these patients. So what do you guys want the community to know about your experience from your perspective? I had one of our intensivists, Dr. Kahn, make a comment to me today that I thought was very appropriate, and he said COVID-19 does not discriminate. Mm -hmm. on who it affects and I got to thinking about that and I was like that's really really true Mm -hmm. as healthcare workers it's very disheartening to hear the public claim that COVID's not real because day in and day out for 12 plus hours at a time we take care of these patients right and we see how sick they are especially in the ICU we encounter a myriad of emotions tasks and experiences that we may have not ever experienced before until this pandemic sure I think Brandy touched on that with, you know, the emotions and the experiences and some of the frustration with what you hear from some of the general public that's not real or they're not going to comply with certain things. And you just you try to tune that out because we come to work every day to take care of people because that's what we do. Right. And that's what we've devoted our careers and our lives to. And, you know, we sacrifice with our own families to take care of people. Of course. And easily a lot of these nurses could have said, I'm not going to do this, but they don't. They keep coming back day after day to take care of others. Mm -hmm. 
And the emotional strain is, it's real. I mean, you go home and you worry about these patients at night. Sure, of course. Because you know that when you bring someone into the ICU and you put them on life support and, you know, I had a personal situation. We had a patient who he looked us in the eye and said, am I going to die? And, you know, you want to tell them, no, you're not going to die. But you know in the back of your mind it's a possibility. Right. And so the emotional strain of that is real. Well, that's heavy for anyone to have to go through. Exactly. And to do it day after day, shift after shift, mm-hmm. and it, it takes a real toll. And I think if the, if the public could see that, they would definitely, you know, realize the impact that COVID has had. Like Blake said, we hold the hands of patients that are, you know, complete strangers to us that are dying just so they don't die alone because right. their families can't be in the room with them. It's just a very sad sight to be sitting in the room with the patient and their family watching them pretty much just die from Mm -hmm. the glass window. And a lot of times, you know, we, like Katie was talking about, we have to console the families and update them over the phone because of our visitation restrictions with the COVID patients. The last time that families might get to see their loved one alive is when they drop them off at the ER or when EMS picks them up to bring them into the hospital. Katie, what about you? I agree with everything that they said. The major thing is the emotional, it's physical, but we all signed up for this. We we want to take care of patients. That's what we, we want to do. But the emotional, it, it's so different from nursing as I have done it over the past 11 years. Mm-hmm. You know, just having to deal with these people may otherwise been just fine at home, just like me. They just got covid and it has just wreaked havoc on them. The emotion is the, the biggest strain. When we go home, often, I know, at least I do, I think about my patient. And yeah. especially, we're heartbroken a lot of times if they're not doing as well as we would like for them to. And we're constantly thinking, what else could we have done? What could we have done different? Right. Like Blake said, we all we have gut feelings of poor outcomes a lot of times. But all we can do is hope and pray for the best. Sure. And rejoice when we do have good outcomes. And mm-hmm. hopefully see those patients making improvements. And we just long for the day that they can get out of the ICU, out of the hospital, and back home with their families. Of course. From the bottom of my heart, really, thank you so much for what you're doing. I know you guys hear that a lot. Um and maybe sometimes it feels like you don't hear it enough, but you guys are really doing an amazing job with our patients, for the people here in West Tennessee, and we can't thank you enough for what you're doing. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to come talk about this. I'd like the general public to know that this very much is a real thing. We have firsthand experience here in the room with me. Take this seriously. It, it, it really is a, a big deal. Thank you again so much for listening to another episode of We Talk Health.